the Fishbook family, we open the door to Christmas early. My wife is a bit of a Christmas elf, and I'm learning how to be that. So my house has been fully decorated for Christmas for over a month. All right? My, uh, my, my Christmas lights have been up since early November. Clear white lights, double stapled on both sides, completely straight, because that's the way Jesus wants them <laughs> for me and for you, just so you know. Our tree is up. Our DVR is full of Christmas specials. We will be, uh, we had our first Christmas gathering last week, had over 40 people from Christ the King into our home, had a wonderful time together. In a couple of weeks, we'll have another Christmas gathering where we will screen Christmas Vacation and Elf on the same night because I think that's godly too, just my opinion, all right? Most of our gifts are bought and Laurel knows every single one because not only is she a Christmas elf, she's a snoopy little elf too, and she knows how to get inside of everything. In my family, we like to open the door to Christmas early because of the door that Jesus opened when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're going to use the word incarnation a lot. The incarnation, Jesus becoming human flesh. And in doing that, He opened a door. In your outline, it says He opened the door for the gift of love, the reason for joy, the promise of hope, and the dream of peace. And my prayer for our church family this Christmas season is not that we only get to experience the gift of love, the reason for joy, the promise of hope, and the dream of peace, but that we will also reflect each of these beautiful truths into a world where, where let's just face it, the picture of Christmas is fractured. The image of Christmas and what it's all about is unbelievably broken. Last week, I was speaking in California. I got off a plane, hustled into the town where I was going to be speaking, had opportunity to stop in at the hotel, kind of throw my bags on the bed, and then head off because I was off to do six services, two Saturday night, three Sunday morning, one Sunday night. And I had just a small window of time because the first service started about four o'clock. My plane had just gotten in. So I went to the hotel. I've been there before. And, and I walked into the room, was just going to walk into the, the kind of the bedroom, which was off to the left, throw my bags down and leave. That's what was the goal was. And so I did. And as I came into the room, walked through the door, there was a guy in the room coming at me from the right-hand side. He was like right there, startled me. He, I, I put my hand up to kind of block him because I didn't know that he was there. He was swinging at me. My hand was up. And then I jumped back and he jumped back. And I looked at him and he looked at me. And then I realized that he was me. Big honking mirror right there in the room. I scared myself half to death. I mean, I attacked myself in the hotel room. It was scary. It was scary. My reflection scared me to death. And all through this series, we're going to be talking about reflections and images. It all comes from an Old Testament proverb. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. So i got a question for you. When you look at yourself in the mirror, do you like what you see? And I'm not talking about the external package. I'm talking about what's really happening deep inside of your heart. Is that a reflection of the true image of you? Or do you feel somehow like a counterfeit? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the perfect reflection of God the Father, which means that people who follow Jesus are supposed to be a good, accurate reflection of Jesus in everything we say and everything we do, which brings us to a painful question at Christmas time. Are you a good reflection of Jesus? Do you bear His image, or does the reflection that comes off of you at Christmas time scare you and your entire family at the same time? The beginning of the message, I said the incarnation of Jesus opened the door for the gift of love. The Bible has a lot to say about love. The Bible says God is love. The Bible says 
that Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. The only time a new commandment is actually elicited. A new commandment I give you, love one another. The Bible says that, that the people who don't know Jesus will actually have an opportunity to know about Jesus by the way that we actually love each other. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, than a man is willing to lay down his life for his friends. The Bible's got a famous chapter about love. You've probably heard it preached at a wedding. And, and I know it's unconventional to use it at Christmas time, but that's exactly what we're going to do. So if you've got a Bible and app or the outline, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to read through it, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to hold up a great big mirror to our own souls today. And we want to ask the question, do we see a broken reflection of ourselves or do we see a greater reflection of Jesus? How can we accurately reflect the love of Jesus during this Christmas time? We're going to walk through 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm going to do a little, let's do a little, you know, relational math here. If the Bible says God is love and this chapter is about love, you should be able to put God's name in every one of the places where you see love. And I believe it's true. God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no record of wrongs. God always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. God never fails. Well, if we can put God in there, if we're supposed to be an accurate reflection of Jesus who is God, then we should be able to look at these kind of tenets of love and, and kind of walk through how well we're doing when it comes to reflecting Jesus and His love during this Christmas time. So let's start at verse 4. Love is patient. Ask the question, how can I reflect the patience of Jesus during Christmas? Can we all agree together that God has been unbelievably patient with us? Right? So I was out gathering sermon illustrations on Black Friday. That's why I go. I go to watch you make fools of yourselves on Black Friday. Okay? So I'm standing in line at Macy's at an obscene hour of the morning, and I'm holding a pillow because my wife needed a new pillow. I've been standing in line for a very long time, and as you stand in line for a long time, you begin to bond with the people around you. And I'm bonding naturally because I'm Canadian. And so there I am, <laughs> and I'm just having a conversation, and there's a lady next to me, and she's been complaining about how long the line is taking, and I'm sharing her angst in that moment. And then when she finally gets up to the front of the cashier line, she looks at the Macy's employee and says these words, I'd like to apply for a Macy's credit card, please. The lady says, now? There's a line from here to Seattle, and you want to apply now? And I'm thinking in my brain, I'm like, that is not the question I was asking in my brain. In fact, in that section, I, I'm coming face to face with my lack of patience and my tendency to swear in my brain, okay? Don't pretend you don't do it, okay? Don't get all sanctimonious on me, right? So here's the question in the grocery line with your children with your extended family. When it comes to a time when we're going to need to offer people a little more grace, do we see Jesus reflected in your patience? Or do we see a demon reflected in your patience? Let's keep moving. Love is kind. How can I reflect the kindness of Jesus during Christmas? I'll just say it to you. If you've already made physical contact with another human being for the sake of getting in front of them in a line, you are not kind. Okay? If you've spoken down to someone who is trying to serve you during Christmas, you are not kind. If your children take a step back when you walk in the room, that's a clue. You're not kind. If your roommates are trying to oust you during the month of December, it could be because you're simply not kind. Under pressure, Jesus was kind, truthful, 
but kind. So how can we just simply be kind to the people around us and in doing that reflect the kindness of Jesus? The Bible says love does not envy. So how can I protect my soul from envy this Christmas? So we're all going to go through the Christmas ritual, right? We're going to make a list, check it twice, declare ourselves as nice and not naughty, and we're going to walk through that together. Here's my question. As you're making your list, are you ticked off that everybody else's list has a higher potential of actually becoming real, more so than yours? If that's true, you're envious, and that's not loving. If you dream of the latest generation of everything, every electronic gizmo, because you actually think that will fill the hole in your soul, uh, there's a word for that in Scripture. It's called envy. Just so we're clear, it's a sin. We got that, right? Do you reflect the image during the season of, of someone who wants everything given to them, or are you reflecting the image of the one who fully and completely gave? It's a question. Love does not boast. So how can I display true humility at Christmas? Well, here's an interesting conversation starter. When you're just talking during the day, who do you speak more of, Jesus or you? I mean, if He must become greater and we must become less, then that would mean over time we will no longer be the central character in all of our conversations. Some of us during this season, you've heard me say this before, we need to do an eye check. Not this kind of eye check, the personal pronoun kind of eye check. Which, so here's the challenge. Listen to yourself from 8 in the morning until 12 noon and count the number of times you say the word I or me. That directly corresponds to your lack of humility or your ability to actually be humble. The Bible says it's actually loving to consider others greater than ourselves. Which means this season is not about us. It's about him, and he was about them. Does that make sense? Let's keep going. Love is not proud. So how can I reflect God's humble nature during this Christmas time? The beauty of the incarnation is actually unpacked in Philippians chapter 2 when it says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You don't need to grab a hold of something that's already yours. Jesus was God, but He made Himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man as a man, He humbled Himself. When Jesus showed up, embodied Himself, took on human flesh, that's what the incarnation is. He put on human flesh. When He showed up, He didn't show up with a sword or great propaganda or rhetoric. He showed up with a bowl of water and a towel, and He started washing people's feet. If we're going to reflect Jesus, I believe we should be able to ask each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, where are we going to find you washing feet in the next 18 days? Where are you going to step out of your schedule and serve somebody else, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's awkward? In what way are we going to humbly serve? Because I would be so bold to say that Christmas without humble service is not a reflection of Jesus for Jesus' followers. Let's keep going. Love is not rude. So here's a deeply profound theological question, right? Don't dismiss it unless you've nailed it. How can I be nice this Christmas? All right? We need to take this one to Costco. Amen? <laughs> I have watched some of you lose your salvation in that store. 
You're playing full contact bumper cars with your, I mean, you're taking people out right and left and just like, mm! oh, that's Jesus right there, right? Absolutely. You know, the, the Bible says that we are not supposed to respond with evil for evil. So it doesn't matter whether or not somebody's rude towards you. You're not supposed to give that back. In fact, here, let's practice something. I'm trying something new this year, right? So anytime I run into somebody who's rude, this is what I do. I smile at them, and then I say, wow. <laughs> let's try it together. Everybody grin at me, and let's say it together. Ready? Wow. There was a dude in Target the other day. He's just flipping out. I just smiled at him. I went, wow. He calmed right down. You should give it a shot, right? It's theological somehow. I don't know. I mean, it's just in there, right? How can we not be rude this Christmas? Let's live differently. Let's step across the line and infect the county while we're being a good reflection of Jesus. Let's keep going. Love's not self-seeking. So how can I seek the good of others this Christmas? I mean, the Bible says Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That means he was others-focused. And this is a challenge for us this Christmas season. We're to, if we're to reflect Jesus, we're to be others-focused, which means we seek, we invite, we include, we put others' needs before our own, and it sticks out. So last weekend, I'm on my way home, right? It's Monday. I flew from California to Portland, Portland to Seattle, Seattle to Bellingham. I lost 12 degrees every time I got off a plane. Okay? It was freezing when I got back home again. Then I finally got that little, on that little plane, those little Q400 Horizon flights from Seattle to Bellingham, you know, and I'm sitting beside another full-grown man, and our hip bones are touching, which is wrong, you know, because we're sitting in these little chairs, and so we're trying to bond and have man code going on. So I'm like, you know, we talk what guys talk about, right? You know, what do you do for a living? You know, there's a word at the refinery. I'm like, what do you do for a living? I was like, I'm working at church. Pastor Christ the King. He goes, I've always wondered what happened in there. You're going to open the door. I'm walking through it, right? I said, you should come and find out sometime. Drive up the guide, turn left at the porn shop. We're right there. You can't miss us, right? There we are, right? Don't stop on a shopping trip. Come on in. That's how it's working, all right? So we're just talking. And I said, you should come find out what we do there sometime. He reached out his hand, shook my hand, and said, I give you my word I'll come to church. Christ the King, invite them. How many times do we have to say it? Sociologists tell us 75 to 80% of people would come to church if somebody would just invite them. We don't put, we, we, we don't put little invitations out there so we can kill more trees. Now, some of you are offended by that. Really? We do it because we actually believe we have the keys to eternal life. You've heard me say this before. I said it a couple months ago. I got a lot of email on this one. I'm feeling kind of scrappy this morning. Let's do it anyway, okay? How much do you have to hate somebody to have the keys to eternal life and withhold it from them? How much do you have to hate that person's soul to withhold the opportunity to meet Jesus and get heaven? I mean, somebody's just like, well, I don't want to offend them. You know what's offensive? Hell is offensive. 
Hell is hot forever is a long time, and we have the keys to heaven. Why in the world? How can we call ourselves loving if we withhold that? Can I get an amen from somebody at 10 o'clock? That's what we're here for. That's why he came. Here's the next one. Love is not easily angered. That's ironic, isn't it? Okay, so... <laughs> How can I choose the godly response in every opportunity and situation? I mean, a person who's reflecting Jesus has a long fuse and like Jesus is quick to listen, slow to speak, and finish it with me, slow to become angry. You know, I was once told that you measure spiritual maturity by the number of seconds it takes a person to fly off the handle. You know what that means? That means some of the people in this room have the spiritual maturity of a two-second-year-old because that's how long it takes you to lose it. A person who reflects Jesus understands the difference between righteous anger and an anger that's devastating to those around us and leaves people with a terrible picture of Jesus. So let's just hold up the mirror right now. Let's look at it. Let's not be afraid. When it comes to your anger, do you reflect Jesus or something else? Let's keep going. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So how can I reflect the forgiveness of Jesus at Christmas time? We've been asking questions. Let's keep going. Who in your life desperately needs the gift of your forgiveness this season? I mean, it amazes me. At a time of the year when we celebrate the fact that Jesus initiated grace and forgiveness, it amazes me how many of us see that inspiration and yet our response is to curate a museum of all of our hurts and all of our wounds from our whole life. I've said it before. Forgiveness is hard, but it's essential. Let me say it again. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not minimizing. Forgiveness is not pretending it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not avoiding the situation. Forgiveness is releasing the person who hurt you and handing them over to the good, right, and fair judgment of God. Forgiveness is when you declare, I'm not Jesus. So forgiveness is going to take a miracle, so I'm going to hand you over to Him. And you only need to forgive to the level that it took Jesus to forgive you and your pile of garbage. For me, that's a big pile. If I had a Christmas wish this year, it would be that Christ the King would be a place where we forgive, we don't fester. Because it'll kill you. Speaking from experience. Let's keep going. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So how can I discipline my heart to celebrate the good and seek the truth this Christmas? I believe Philippians gives us the answer. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, that would include everybody in the room, okay? Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So before you post a comment, think. For some of you, take a breathalyzer and think. Before you just launch into, I mean, so many of us, we hide behind our keyboards and we're willing to comment on everybody else's stuff and we're just the captain of critics. How loving is that? Let's just be honest. And the Bible says, get your eyes off of that stuff. 
that critical nature that loves to just comment on everybody else's life and never look at the reflection that's coming back in the mirror. Take a moment and look above and see the beautiful things. Did you see the reflections in the video? Reflection of a, of a young newlywed couple saying hi after work. A couple of a father, a picture of a father and a son pretending to shave together. That was done by our new video director. Not bad for 19 years old, huh? Pretty good stuff. I love that. Did you see the beauty in it, though? We're surrounded by reflections. We live in Washington. It's everywhere. My prayer is every time you see a reflection that you'll be looking for the image of Jesus. Every year for several years, there's a lady from our church who puts together a Thanksgiving meal for a family. I usually get an email about a week before, and the email says this, how many people am I feeding this year? She knows what it means to go without. So as far as it depends on her, she's going to make sure at least one family at Christ the King Church doesn't go hungry. And I get to be a part of her little thing because I usually know if there's families that actually are going to need a Thanksgiving meal. So that's Saturday night before Thanksgiving every single year. I think for the past 10 years in a row, she shows up and I load all of this stuff into my vehicle. And then I drive to a person's home and I knock on the door and I say, somebody loves you. And they wanted to bless you. And the tears start to flow And I get an opportunity in that moment. It's just like, it's the evidence of Jesus. It's the fingerprints of Jesus. Be that this Christmas. You're like, I don't know how to do that. Okay, here's here's a theologically complex idea on how you actually have an opportunity to be a part of this. Are you ready for it? I'm going to try and unpack it as best I can because it's so complex. See a need and meet it. Some of you missed it. Let me try it again, okay? Okay. See a need and meet it. Here's an idea if you want to be theologically more complex. See a need and meet it in secret. Sometimes it's enough that God sees what you're doing. Let's keep going. Love always protects. How can I protect my soul with the purity of the true meaning of Christmas? I mean, the meaning of Christmas is that Jesus humbled himself, became human, and came here to save sinners. My prayer is that you will, every time you see a manger, that you'll also see the shadow of a cross, because that was the purpose. So when I choose to protect the sanctity of that truth, I'm reflecting Jesus. How do I do that? In the midst of all of the stuff that's going to hit you in the next 18 days or so, this is how you do it. You pause. You breathe. You're thankful. You give extravagantly, generously. You serve. You speak the truth with kindness and love. Let's keep going. Love always trusts. So how can I trust God more fully this Christmas? You know, when I trust God, I reflect God because it's my conviction that God is trustworthy. So what step of faith do you need to take this year? For some of you, your family system is fractured. It would be a huge step of faith for you to step up and say, God, I will become the unifying factor in my family. And I'm going to do that by speaking of Jesus. I'm going to do it kindly. I'm not going to get angry about the brokenness of my situation. Instead, I'm going to enter fully into what God is doing at this particular time. And I'm going to put my hand up and say, here am I, send me. And I'm going to love 
the broken, dysfunctional people that God has sovereignly placed around me. And if they don't see anything else this Christmas, they will see Jesus in me. I mean, some of you are like, that's a God-sized dream, Grant. How about this God-sized dream? The reconciliation of broken mankind and a perfect heavenly Father. Maybe your dream's as big as the one that Jesus was trying to pull off during Christmas. That's the incarnation. Let's keep going. Love always hopes. So how can I reflect the hope of God during this season? You know, the world is going to try and find hope in a lot of places the next couple of weeks. They're going to try and find it in money. They're going to try and find it in gifts. They're going to find and try and find it in stuff. And they're all going to discover the same thing in January. That stuff does not bring you hope. It will make you feel hopeless. The hope of God is in a personal relationship with Jesus. So place your hope in Jesus and then reflect that hope to those that God sovereignly places around you. Let's keep going. Love always perseveres. So how can I remain steadfastly faithful and unwavering during this Christmas season? I mean, the message of the manger is one of steadfast faithfulness and unwavering devotion. Jesus was absolutely resolute in his pursuit of our soul. So when we reflect him, we're resolute in our pursuit of his heart, which means this, you're going to need to persevere through the distraction, persevere through your schedule, persevere through the materialism, not just being a critic of it, but instead reflecting Jesus in the midst of it, because we're going to do this. We're going to hold unwaveringly to the belief that Emmanuel, God with us, is still pursuing human souls with passion, and our goal is to enter into that mission with him. And how do we do that again? We invite people to do life with us. We don't hide. We pursue. Because that's what Jesus was doing in the incarnation. God in human flesh. That's a big list of love, isn't it? So let's do this right now. I'm going to hold up a great big hypothetical mirror. Okay? It's mirror on both sides. So I'm looking at me and you are looking at you. When it comes to reflecting the love of Jesus, what do you see? Ooh, that's quiet. I'm looking at me, and you're looking at you. The Bible just showed us that God is love, and the people who follow Jesus are supposed to be a reflection of that kind of love. So this week, when you don't know what else to do, try love. When you're sitting in the coffee line and it's not going fast enough, will you love the people in front of you and behind you enough to pray the Prince of Peace into their car? Would you love them enough to anonymously pick up their tab? I got to see this this past week at the post office. Lady got to the front, didn't have enough money to cover all of the postage. Guy in front of me beat me to it. Walked over with this card, said, I got it. I saw the Gideon New Testament in his pocket. Evidence of Jesus. But I don't have much to give, Grant. How about starting with you? Share yourself. That's loving. That's loving. 
You know, the beautiful thing about 1 Corinthians 13 is a lot of people stopped where I just stopped, and they forget the promise at the end. Three beautiful little words. Love never fails. If God is love, Jesus never fails. The Holy Spirit never fails. God the Father never fails. And as the people of God, if we're willing to reflect love, God says that's an investment that He most certainly will pay forward into the lives of the people around us. So carry the promise and let's get busy. Let's get busy pausing. Let's get busy reflecting the love of Jesus to the people that are around us. And let's hold to the promise that love never fails. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I believe we'll have an opportunity to test this out probably as we're leaving the parking lot today. Lord, would you help us to be loving to the people around us? May we be protective and hopeful. Lord, we want the image of Jesus, the perfect reflection of the Father, to reflect right through us so that we are completely transparent and so that we can love like Jesus. So God, in the coming week, we will need your help and assistance to love. God, I pray that you would just make it so plain, because Lord, the truth is some of us, we just miss it. I miss it all the time. Lord, would you allow us to love purely and completely and wholly and generously and radically to the point of foolishness? Because Lord, that's how you first loved us. So may we carry it with us this week, and may our world be a little different because a group of people who are called Christ the King reflect the one who truly is Christ the King. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.